0: It's 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable life, light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might for ever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, in the rich to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may, to- they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thanks be to God for his word. Good morning. Contentment in
1: an age of comparison. Do keep your Bibles open. We're going to be referring to that uh, passage um, as we go through this talk. I expect you've all heard the saying, the grass is greener on the other side. It's a very well-known phrase or expression. And it's referring to, of course, this Longing or desire to have what other people have. I like their life, I like their lifestyle, I like what they've got, their stuff. It's better than mine. Grass is greener on the other side. And technology has magnified our ability to compare what we've got with what other people have. So we've moved from being able to look over the fence to around the world. Anyone can see what anyone else is doing if that person is sharing it on social media. Never before in history have human beings beings, been able to compare their lives with others as much as you can do today. The advent of social media, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. What have I missed? This goes on and on. means that anyone who wants to be seen can be seen, and anyone who wants to see those people can see those people. We can see that they've had breakfast. We can see that they are on holiday in Greece. We can see they've got a new iPhone 26. We can see they've got a new girlfriend or boyfriend. We can see their dance moves. Great. Before I really get into this talk, I want you to hear this statement. Neither social media nor money, because we're going to be talking about money a little bit later, are bad or evil in or of themselves. So please don't take the message Matt says that people who use social media are wrong. I'm not saying that or people who have lots of money wrong. I'm not saying that. However, I do hope that this message will challenge you about how you use both of those things. The view that you and I get from what we see on social media is often distorted. Manipulated, biased, filtered, one-sided, Fake, false, unreal. And it's having a massive impact on people's mental health. Especially younger people, because they use social media far more than older people like me. Especially younger girls. There have been countless studies that have confirmed this relationship between the growth of social media and the growth of mental illness issues. It is not a coincidence. I would like to quote from a report I read called The Destructive Spiral of Social Media. One of the main dangers of social media is comparison and how someone of low self-esteem will often compare themselves with someone else leading to anxiety or Depression. This biased representation of reality is causing more and more comparison and driving down contentment, making people feel insecure, depressed, and worthless. Endless comparisons are sucking joy and contentment out of countless lives. I I had a bit of a chuckle. Who's heard of the Be Real app? Who's got Be Real? (laughs) So the Be Real app um, recognises that a lot of stuff that's posted is fake. So what it does is it tries to encourage you to not put fake stuff up by giving you a two-minute slot for when it contacts you to put a photo of yourself and what you're looking at to your friends or the world. Okay? So I was on holiday at Christmas and uh, some of these teenagers or young people's phones went bing, and it was kind of the Be Real app saying, time to post. Anyhow, two minutes, everyone starts doing their hair, uh, (laughs) lipstick, everyone starts getting ready. Fake. It's not even, even Be Real is not real. Social media. It wasn't around in Paul's day, it wasn't around when most people here were children. In fact, probably everyone here was children. Today we're going to look at some biblical principles of contentment. And they're just applicable to how we use social media as to how we use money. Let me start with a few verses from Paul's book to Philippians, chapter 4, verse 11. He says this For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Contentment is not natural, and it's not obvious, and there's a secret. Four principles or exhortations for contentment in an age of comparison. Now, when I give you these four, you're going to say, that was obvious. <laughs> this is not rocket science. Three of these exhortations you would get from a, a really good TED talk or something like that. Secular wisdom often copies godly wisdom um, because it's copying God's design for us, which, which works. Yeah. Um, The fourth is probably more likely to appear in a sermon. So here's the first one. First principle for contentment in an age of comparison. Appreciate and enjoy what you already have. There we go. Not rocket science, is it? Verse 8 in our passage in 1 Timothy 6. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think I can safely say that everyone I'm speaking to here has their needs met and everyone online too. You have your needs met, you have food and clothing. And so we're probably chasing after what we want and when we do that it's easy to miss stopping and enjoying we already have. Verse 17 in our passage tells us that God gives us everything for our enjoyment. He is not a cosmic killjoy. He enjoys watching you enjoy what he has given you. In the same way that you as a parent or an uncle or an aunt when you give a child a gift and they start enjoying it, you enjoy the fact that they are enjoying it. And God has given us so much to enjoy, from music to enjoy, art to enjoy, drama to enjoy, dairy milk, chocolate to enjoy, colors to enjoy, sunsets, sunrises, mountains, the list goes on. And when we enjoy those things, God smiles. We're enjoying what he has given us. But we live in such a materially wealthy Country, society, city, we need to consciously remind ourselves of what we already have because we have so much. So simple things, like a glass of water. I would say that, wouldn't
0: I? <laughs> Do we appreciate
1: it? But when you turn a tap on, you get water. Do you appreciate when you turn your light switch on, your light comes on? Just going back to appreciating water. Dave Rogers over there phoned me the other day from his office to say, Matt, there's no water in our office. We're having to send people home. And I said to him, Dave, we do that. Once in a while, we cut people off just so they can appreciate what they've got. (laughs) There are so many things that we have that we need to appreciate. You see, we're too easily sucked into this thinking in our society. When I have that, then I'll be content. When I've got that new phone, then I'll be content. When I've got that new car, then I'll be content. When I've got half a million pounds in my bank account, then I'll be content. When I've got that new girlfriend, then I'll be content. Let me tell you this. And I can say this because I know you've all got your needs met. If you are not content now, you won't be content if you have more. There we go, I've said it. If you're not content now, you won't be content if, when, then, you have more. You're you're as content as you choose to be. You see, you can have two people, both of whom have very little. They might live in a little flat and no disposable income at the end of the month. One of them is content and the other one isn't. Or you can have two wealthy people with large houses, large disposable incomes, massive cars. One of them is content and one of them isn't. For rich people like you and me, contentment has little to do with circumstances and much to do with attitude. Appreciate and enjoy what you already have. That's number one. Number two, remember, life is not about things. You've heard it say, have you not, that um, the best things in life are free. The best things in life aren't actually things. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, a man's or a woman's life, does not consist of the abundance of his or her possessions. And if you don't have the right perspective on stuff, on things, you will be possessed by your possessions. The stupidest use of anyone's life is building a pile. How dumb is that? J. John, the uh, evangelist, recounts this story. He was at a family funeral, and at the wake, one of the other members of the family came up to me and said, "Uh, hey, did uh, so-and-so leave anything? To which Jejong said, yes, (laughs) she left everything. (laughs) Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Boy, did those Egyptians try. They left it. All. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into destruction. And verse 10, very famous but often misquoted verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not say money is the root of all evil. That's why a lot of people, I hear people saying, misquoting that Bible verse. I even saw it misquoted on a website, it was all about misquotes. Hilarious. Um, The love of money. Money is neutral. It can be used for amazingly good stuff. But the love of it leads to all sorts of problems. Of course, money can make your life easier and more comfortable, but it's not gonna satisfy you or make you content. Once your needs are met, Contentment cannot be bought by money. Sure, short-term happiness can be, but it's not gonna bring you long-term contentment. You think of the uh, feeling you get when you get something new. I don't know, uh, say you bought a new car. That smell when you get into it, that clean smell. Oh! A couple of weeks later, you've had the dog in the car, it stinks, it's gone. You were happy for a while but it hasn't given you contentment. And if you don't think you've got enough, well, there are two options available to you. You can either work harder or you can want less. One of those things works. Because if you work harder, it doesn't actually work. All you get is tireder, more anxious, you have more conflict in your life and ongoing dissatisfaction, so you can choose. You want more work harder which doesn't work or want less please don't make getting rich your aim your goal or your god money is a tool to be used not a goal in itself i was listening to a, an interview like, this thursday with um, anthony joshua heavyweight boxing chap he's um, next fight is coming up, and uh, the interviewer said, where does your desire come from? Presumably the desire to box, this is. And AJ says this in response, I like making money. And when all is said and done, no one will care about me no more. So I got to make the most of it while I'm here. You work harder, but it's not going to make you content. How much money does a man or woman need? Answer? A little bit more than they've currently got. Verse 18 says this, Command them, that's us, rich people, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. The truth is that the more we have, the greater the opportunity to help and bless others. And I have to say, having been here at Holy Trinity for quite a while, that there is a characteristic that is rife in this congregation. It's the characteristic of generosity. And it's a wonderful thing to see. So let us, as people here in this congregation, continue to use money and love people rather than loving money and using people. So life is not about things. Third exhortation for contentment. This is so obvious. Here it is. Stop comparing yourself to others. Yet we do. I mean, it's so obvious, isn't it? But we do it all the time. We're looking over our neighbor's fence or on social media. I wish I had their whatever. This yearning to possess, kick-started by comparisons, is a serious problem. In fact, it's so serious, that God has given us instruction not to do it. Coveting your neighbor's house, spouse, ox or donkey is there in Exodus 20. I don't think you cover oxes or donkeys, but you might covet cars or bikes or whatever. It makes it into the top six rules for our interaction with others. Don't come up to me and say there are 10 commandments. The first four are about our interaction with God, the second six, are our interaction with each other. And the Hebrew word for covert literally means to pant after. This uncontrolled desire to acquire. Mine, I want it to be mine. I want it here, I want to own it. You know, if you're so fixated about something, you can't let it go and your desire to acquire is so enormous, you'll never own it. It's gonna own you. you just ask Gollum. If your desire becomes uncontrolled lust for what someone else has, then you know you're in a dangerous breaking the 10th commandment territory. Three quick tips on how we can practically stop comparing ourselves with others. One, don't look. There's something incredibly liberating by removing yourself from temptation to compare. Personally, I came off social media quite a few years ago because I felt it was affecting me. I'm not saying you have to do that. That's what I chose to do. Don't look. second little one, learn to admire, not acquire. If someone's got something bright, shiny and new, good for you, that's nice. it bring you short-term happiness but you're not going to have long-term contentment from whatever that is. Learn to admire, not acquire. And the third thing, top tip, lend or borrow stuff. I used to have the best lawnmower on my street, right? And I loved lending it to my neighbours. Made me feel good. They got free grass cuts. Then my lawnmower broke. Now, I borrow my neighbours. Interdependency on stuff reduces comparisons, and this shared sense of community improves contentment. So don't look, learn to admire or Borough's stuff. And remember this, if the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence, then either it's astroturf, <laughs> fake, or they've got a massive water bill, or it's above a soaker weight to a septic tank (laughs) which means there's a dodgy reason for why it's green so there are the first three principles for contentment in an age of comparison and the fourth one is this invest in what will last forever many people in today's society have much to live on but not much to live for And what they find is that pursuing stuff or pursuing likes or hits or streaks, if you don't know what a streak is on social media, it's got nothing to do with taking your clothes off, okay? It does not lead to fulfilment or contentment that is promised or propagated by the messages that the world tells us. Whilst with hard work we can get more, you will never get enough. And the Bible addresses this in verse 11 of our passage. But you, man or woman of God, flee from all this. What? Flee from what? Verse 10, the previous verse, the love of money, the pursuit of earthly adoration and riches. Flee from that and pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. In summary, invest in what will last forever. Because this life is not it. So there's absolutely no point spending your life comparing yourself to others, then working your butt off to acquire more stuff or popularity, which won't make you content, and which you're going to leave behind anyway in a few years. It's a lose-lose-lose-lose strategy. It's your choice, though. Verse 17. Those who are rich, us, in this present world should not be arrogant, nor put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put our hope in God. Contentment comes from both the purpose he gives you in this life and the hope He gives you for eternity. And this is not a purpose or a hope that we have to earn. This is a purpose and a hope that has been freely given to us. God does not judge your self-worth by your net worth. He doesn't value you by the extent of your valuables. He loves you unconditionally. And he's shown that to us. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, the secret of contentment is finding my security, myself, my satisfaction, not in what I have, my stuff, or what other people think of me, but whose I am, what my purpose is whilst I'm here, and what my hope is when I'm not here any longer. So let me summarise four principles or exhortations for contentment in an age of comparison. One, appreciate and enjoy what you already have. Two, remember life is not about things. Three, stop comparing yourself to others. Four, invest in what will last forever. I'm going to finish with a story. There was a fisherman. He was sitting on a deck chair looking out to sea past his little fishing boat. He'd finished fishing for the day. He'd caught enough for his family and a few more to give away. When suddenly there's a tap on his shoulder and there's a guy in a suit, this businessman. He says, what are you doing? And the fisherman says, I'm sitting here relaxing and enjoying life. Well, you shouldn't be, said the businessman. When I was your age, I was out fishing 12 hours a day. By the time I was 25, I had my own fishing boat. When I was 35, I'd got two fishing boats. By the time I was 45, I had my own business. And now look, I'm late 50s. I'm wealthy. And I can sit and enjoy life. The turns to him and says, what, like I'm doing right now? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the freedom of choices that we have to make. We pray for your wisdom as we make those choices. Help us to pursue relationships over riches and people over possessions. Help us to follow you, our maker, over mass advertising. Help us to follow Christ over this current culture. Help us to follow your word over the messages of this world. Amen.